Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Manchester's indie rock and roll station Access Manchester The Access Manchester Long Player An iconic album in full with Jim Salverson Access Manchester Are you ready for another classic album discussed with one of the people that made it? That is what the Access Long Player is all about and today's classic album is one you're probably more familiar with if you are in Manchester, if you're inside the M60, I have no doubt you have heard and listened to, at some point previously, Twisted Wheel's debut album, also called Twisted Wheel, their eponymous debut album. That is the album I'm talking about today on the Excess Long Player. And I'll be doing so with bassist Rick Lees, who was only in the band for three or four years before walking away. He hasn't been part of the Reformation when Twisted Wheel got together a few years ago to rekindle the band. Rick talks about flying to LA to record this album, the huge hype around its release, because Twisted Will really were considered the next big thing. And he also touches on what happened when it didn't feel quite as good as it did in those early days. That is all still to come. If you're new to the Excess Long Player podcast, make sure you check out some of the other shows in this series, some of the other albums that have been discussed over the weeks. There's plenty more Manchester albums, if you're that way inclined. Cortina's St. Jude, Badly Drawn Boy, Arab Bewilderbeast, Liam Frost, Show Me Other Spectres, Dance, just a few that you'll find if you scroll back in the timeline and find some of the previous podcasts. But enjoy this, Rick Lees from Twisted Wheel talking about their debut album, Twisted Wheel. How you doing, Rick? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad at all, thank you. I want to start in a bit of a cliched place, if that's all right, because it is the, the name of the album and the name of the band, Twisted Wheel. Now, I've heard varying stories about where the name came from, and I always thought that you'd pick the name Twisted Wheel as a response to, well, as a result of obviously your Manchester roots, you're from up in Saddleworth, it's not too far away from the city. There was once a famous nightclub in Manchester called The Twisted Wheel. I always assumed that's where you got the name from, but then a little bit later, maybe a few years ago, someone told me that you'd actually picked the name Twisted Wheel from lyrics of a Paul Weller song. I want to get this nailed first thing, straight out of the traps. Which one is it, if either? <laughs> so... um yeah, we were a band without a name for a little while. I mean, we were constantly sending ideas for names backwards and forwards between ourselves. And Johnny came back with Twisted Wheel and we all liked it. But at the time I didn't, it was before I was into soul music and I didn't know what the Twisted Wheel was. And I don't think Johnny did either, really. I think he'd heard it somewhere and thought it had come to him like a, a new thing. Right. <laughs> and then he said, oh, Twisted Wheel. And we all said, oh, yeah, that sounds pretty cool. That, yeah, we'll go for it. And then sort of later down the line, people were like, oh, is it because of the 
Northern Soul Club, and we were like, what? <laughs> well, it's good that you've not cleared that up in any way. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry about that, mate. Yeah, it could be that Johnny heard it in that Paul Weller tune, but mm. the honest answer is, I, I don't know. <laughs> Before we crack on, out of curiosity, do you remember any of the other names that were kind of in the mix being rattled around at that time? The drummer, Adam, really liked Kelly's Heroes, which was the name of one of his favourite films, and he, he wanted to use that. But I think it might be the name of a, a Black Grape tune yeah. as well. So, yeah, he, he was big on the Mondays and, and Black Grape, so he was pushing for that. But Twisted Wheels seemed to, despite its soul roots, seemed to match the sort of frantic, fast-paced, mm. sort of punky DIY thing we had going on. Yeah, I agree. It's kind of got that punk sound to it, hasn't it? Let's go... Yeah back to the very start of the band forming with or without a name because that was in 2007 and then from the band kind of getting together I know you and Johnny were playing together a little bit but then it kind of started to get a little bit of motion in 2007 then you signed the deal your first major deal in January 2008 the album the eponymous album that we're talking about Twisted Wheel came out in April of that year which is for any band that's fairly meteoric that's a pretty fast-paced forming signing release kind of schedule did it feel at the time when it was all coming together that it was just this whirlwind of activity yeah it did but it kind of felt like we were expecting it because myself and johnny played uh, as you as you mentioned in a, another band called the children and we'd been around the manchester music scene for a long time and we knew all the promoters and all the venues with our previous band, we felt like we were kind of hitting our heads against the wall. We weren't really breaking through to that next mm. stage. And Johnny started writing music that, that didn't fit that band. So we, we started this new project and a lot of people went, no, no, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. But in our heads, we, we were like, right, well, we're going to start off not back at square one here because we've already got you know fans of the other band that mm. we might like this sort of stuff as well. And sure enough, they did. And before we knew it, Everyone was sort of following us, and, and because we were gig practice, the tunes that Johnny had written in this this sort of phase were amazing. It just took off really quickly, and by that point, we were like, right, well, we want to have a record deal within a year, and we pretty much did. <laughs> it's interesting you mentioned you kind of expected it, because I remember back in 2007 2008 when twisted wheel were kind of first taken off i was working for a radio station in manchester called xfm which was one of the radio stations that supported you and i remember you guys having this sort of swagger self-confidence about you certainly from the outside looking in and i guess that's quite a common thing with up-and-coming bands particularly in manchester in this part of the world there is a swagger about them you seem full yeah. of confidence and Obviously, you went on in the early stages to have these support slots with massive bands like Kasabian and Paul Weller and Oasis. So when you think back to that time, that kind of we're going to do this, we're going to make it scenario. Did you believe that at that stage when you were signing that contract that literally you were going to be meteoric? You were going to take off and be one of the biggest bands? You always hope that, but... I think by sort of that point when we actually signed the deal, nothing was a surprise from there because mm. obviously we did want to get a record deal and, and it was a big deal. But the, the things that happened in the run-up to that were just like, you know, we were like, oh my God, it's, it's happening. One after the other, these things sort of, you know, we sort of went further and further and, and yeah, we, we just totally got sort of carried away on, on, on the, you know, riding the wave of it. But you can never really tell how far it's going to go or, or, or when that wave's going to come crashing down, I suppose. 
Do you remember where you were when you got the call that you had signed the deal and that you were going to be recording your debut album? Um, <laughs> well, yeah, because th there was a bidding war between a few labels and, and the process actually went on for quite a few months to, to the point where we were changing our mind every five minutes about who we were going to sign with. And in fact, on, on the train on the way down to London to sign the deal, I thought we were signing for someone else. Right. And we got off the train at Euston and the manager said, right, we're going here. And I said, hang on a minute. Well, I thought we were going to such a body's office. And he said, no, no, we're going with, uh, <laughs> we're going with Columbia instead. It was all a bit of a, a mad sort of frantic time, to be honest with you. What was it that swung it in the end? Do you remember? What was it that made you sign on the dotted line with Columbia? Um, they had a bunch of artists that were pretty successful, sort of one after the other. And we thought, oh, that seems to be where we want to be. And Columbia has like a, a pretty rich heritage of artists. You know, they, mm. they have Bob Dylan and um, so many that I can barely, <laughs> so many to pick, choose from. I mean, at, at the time, I think they'd just done a, a pretty good job with Las Vegas and, and MGMT. And we sort of thought, yeah, they, they, they know what they're doing. When you started recording the album, they flew you out to Los Angeles to put it together, which I imagine was absolutely amazing for an up-and-coming band to go, right, you're going out to LA to record your debut album. It must be one of those pinch-me moments. But was that the right move, retrospectively, to go out to LA to record this album when the environment in which they were created was the Northwest and Saddleworth and Manchester and whatnot? Did it feel like a strange step to go out to LA to kind of finalise the album itself? It did, yeah, but I still think it was the right thing to do. I thought the producer was was really good, although I'm sure Johnny and Clark could probably have slightly different opinions on that. I thought he was brilliant. I liked being in a new setting where it was like the reason that we've flown all this way is to record this music. I mean, we, we recorded at Sunset Sound in LA, which is where the Rolling Stones recorded The Doors, Crosby, Stills and Nash, Beach Boys, Michael Jackson, Prince, you know, all of the big names. And it kind of felt to me as if I had to step up to the plate to do it rather than if we were recording locally I might not have been in the same sort of frame of mind. What were those early recording sessions like in terms of the band working together as a creative unit and you mentioned the producer you had I think it was Dave Sardi producing who worked with Oasis on Don't Believe the Truth and Dig Out Your Soul yeah. so you've got a fairly established name in indie rock working with you how did those early sessions come together? For me it was it was kind of mind-blowing really we'd obviously done a fair bit in the studio back home with various producers. But when we got over there, we spent probably 10 days just going through every song on the album and rejigging parts, changing keys and moving stuff around. And every day I'd, I'd go back to the hotel and I'd go, I can't believe he's, he's thought of that. How, how, did he, how did he know to do that bit mm. there? Because it just seemed to work, you know. And I'd be trying to guess what he'd be thinking about the next song, but I'd never quite get it. In my opinion, he's sort of a, a musical genius. And I think if you look at the stuff that he's done, his, his discography, that sort of speaks for itself. You say that Johnny and Adam might have had a slightly different view on what he contributed to this album. Yeah. Was, 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 that, was that a kind of um, what's the word, a separation, a rift with the band then in terms of how it came out? Because I'm taking from that suggestion that they maybe weren't quite as impressed with his work as you were. Maybe, maybe. I, I'm not sure. I've, I've obviously, I've not spoken to them mm. for quite a long time about, about this album <laughs> because for a long time we were living out, out of each other's pockets. At the time, there were, there were bits of it that Clarkie wasn't sure about. I mean, even now that there may be things that I probably would have 
that I think may have benefited from doing slightly differently. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think whilst we were all there, there was only Clarky that didn't like certain bits of, of things, I think. And me and Johnny seems to seem to enjoy it a little bit more. I'm going to bring you down slightly now, I'm afraid, because I'm going to turn to the enemy who... I'll caveat what I'm about to say by saying the enemy at this kind of period of time had a habit of being really sneering about pretty much any band and their point of writing reviews was to bring down new stuff that was coming through unless they absolutely loved it. So I want to talk to you about reviews. I'm going to read you a little bit from the review they published of your debut album. They only gave it one and a half stars, which is harsh to start with. And this is the comment they made on it. It says, this is just three chord flailing attached to a unique hackneyed line of imagery. Strife's attempt to essay Mank Pond Life offers the key Sheila, she's a dealer, dropped off in a blue three-wheeler. They're pilfering a stock of cliches that is at least 20 years out of date. That's a particularly mean review from Enemy, but like I say, that was their raison d'etre at the time. They were being mean. Did that kind of thing bother you? Did the critical reception of the album, did you pay any attention to that? Or were you too busy looking at the crowds that were pogoing up and down when you were playing your tunes? It kind of did, unfortunately, sort of rock us a little bit, that review. Um, that one in particular? That one in particular, because we were kind of waiting to see what it was going to be like. And we actually had a couple of friends in the NME office, and I was, hoping, I was hoping that they would get hold of it, because it seems that most bands have a few friends in, in that office, or they did at the time, mm. that when there was a review, it seemed to go to like their mates almost and, and they come out with, you know, best album ever or, or, or whatever yeah. it was. But yeah, we, we were we were obviously disappointed with that. And I just think, you know, music is, it's a matter of opinion really. And I think it just kind of fell to the wrong person to review it. Yeah, it does knock your confidence that really. And it's one of the things that I suppose anyone that works in the arts and, and puts the, the name to something is subject to at some point in the career. Does that make you more determined to prove the reviewer wrong, to go and smash it when you read words like that? Yeah, it does actually, yeah. And I think especially with, with our band, I always felt like the energy from our live show was was pretty impressive. And I, I felt like sometimes that maybe didn't quite come across as well in the recordings. And, you know, I, I think in the recordings, sometimes people might have categorised us under sort of indie sort of laddie indie type type mm. thing which we didn't want to be part of really whereas live people saw it as more of a, an energetic punk sort of thing a bit more like the buzzcocks and the clash and that that was kind of where we wanted to position ourselves was that a challenge during the recording process because as you rightly point out one of the things with punk is that it is full of energy and it translates much better live than it does on the recorded record. So was that a challenge to kind of get across that energy in terms of your performances and your music when you were putting the album together? Yeah, it can be sometimes, yeah. And and one of the things about punk um, that people sort of tend to forget is, you know, Buzzcocks and bands like Stiff Little Fingers and that used to record on a shoestring often and, and, and it was pretty sort of ramshackle the way it was put together. You know, some of those bum notes and the misalignment of, of mm. things is kind of what gives it that punk thing. So you can over-polish stuff so it, it loses that charm in a way. So, yeah, it is difficult to get that. A lot of bands play to a click and stuff and everything's sort of, you know, very um, sort of regimented, but our tunes start off sometimes like so fast. I'd be thinking 
how am I going to play this now? <laughs> After Adam had counted in, I'd, I'd give him a look and it'd be, what do you want me to do with this, mate? Sort of thing. I think in, in that sort of tempo changing and, and stuff, we kind of gave the music more of an organic sort of feel and it did portray that punk vibe in a way. I mean, how did that work on stage from that point of view? Because like you say, it was, you're not a band with a load of ballads <laughs> up your sleeves. So yeah. when, you're, when you're playing for an hour, I mean, you must come off stage absolutely spent by that point. Yeah, well, me less so than Johnny. I mean, having to play that fast and sing for an hour is, is hard work, especially in some of, the, some of the smaller venues that we played mm. where, you know, there's sweat dripping off the roof. But we, we loved it. Yeah, it, you're right. Some, some of it was, was pretty hard to do. The album absolutely flies out the blocks with two tunes, which are probably arguably your best known tunes as well. Lucy the Castle and She's a Weapon. Was that kind of a conscious thing to kick the album off with like this frenetic energy and set the scene for what Twisted Wheel were all about? Yeah, yeah, it was. Although sort of Lucy the Castle was kind of came much later than She's a Weapon. She's a Weapon was one of the first tunes that we put together. But yeah, they, they're both sort of fast-paced and in-your-face sort of thing going on. I suppose it was, and then you know we followed that up with We Are Us. And mm. I think the labels these days, especially major labels, want you to have your, your sort of biggest tunes in, in like first three or four songs, really. I'm going to ask you to pick a couple of highlights from this album, stuff that sparks off memories. I do this with everyone that comes on the XS Long Player. Favourite highlights, things you listen to, and they kind of remind you exactly where you were at what time. So you, you could pick more than two if you like, but let's start with two. What, what two tunes would you pick from that album that really takes you back to its recording? I'm going to pick Let Them Have It All. I, I can't actually remember recording this song for the album because <laughs> it was just one of one of 11 that we got through whilst we were there. But I remember I was I was working at the time when um, when Johnny came up with this and, and I got the call and him and Adam had been at the rehearsal room without me and, and Johnny had come up with this song and, and they were jamming it all day and they, they said, you've got to come over, you've got to come over, come up with this tune, come and, come and have a listen. And I got there and was just blown away by it. It's nearly maybe four or five chords in it, but the, the rhythm to it, I mean, it kind of, kind of stays on the same note for a long time. And it was almost like a little bit sort of droney. Mm. Um, but yeah, we were we were rehearsing that over and over and we were all, all three of us just lost in it for hours, you know, and that, that really um, is the beauty of sort of being a musician, I think, sort of gelling through the music and you're all sort of experiencing it together. Pick me another one. What other tune sparks off those memories? I'm going to go with What's Your Name, even though that is still, in my opinion, it's still like a bit of a, it's, it's like a totally different song on the album, really, compared to all the others, just because of the style of it. But I remember jamming that one with, with Adam and, and Johnny in, in Johnny's conservatory at his dad's house. I think, we'd, I think we'd had quite a big night out the night before, and it was summertime, and we were both... All three of us sort of stood in the conservatory jamming with our top stuff, dripping with sweat. <laughs> we kept saying in our heads, I mean, we, we love Pink Floyd, but there's um, a Pink Floyd DVD of the Live at Pompeii show. And, and in our heads, we were like, we were in Pink Floyd, Live at Pompeii, you know, <laughs> we, were, we were playing it, sort of imagining that we were Pink Floyd, or I was anyway. Again, it was just like a, a sort of beautiful moment where we were like, oh, this is an amazing tune. And and we were all sort of on the same page with it, you know. I think after years of sort of being in bands with with various people, 
with, with Twisted Wheel, we kind of got to a point where there were only three of us. So we all, each of us had to be pretty sort of good and, and pretty loud on, on our instrument. We had to make up a lot of space. But I think we'd come to the point where we, we had such a good understanding between the three of us that surpassed by a long way the bands that we've been in previously. And that wasn't, mm. you know, that, that that's not a diss to the, the people that we played with previously because they were all brilliant. But it just felt like we finally had that perfect combination and we were sort of speaking to each other through the music almost. When was the last time you listened back to this album or even dipped uh, into it to listen to a track here and there? A few months ago, actually, but I, I went, I, I think I probably had about six years without listening to any of it almost. And I think that was through perhaps being a little bit hurt by the music industry and feeling a bit, you know, disheartened by the whole thing. And also we played those songs so much that maybe that sort of took the shine off it a little bit. How did it feel coming back when you listen to the album back now then with that separation? I mean, what was 14 years separation now? How do you feel about it now when you listen back? I do. I love certain bits. There are parts of, of it that wind me up that I, you know, that I did, that I think oh, I should have played something differently there. Or even though I was thinking it at the time, I'm still sort of thinking it now. There are parts of, of brilliance in there that I, I can still appreciate. We need to talk, I mean, you, you talk about being burnt by the music industry to a certain extent. I, I mean, after this album came out, pretty much when it looked like Twisted Will could go on and take over the world you decided to walk away from the band what were the circumstances why did you decide to at that stage in 2010 to go right that's it i'm leaving i felt that it wasn't really progressing anymore and i think once you've kind of got it into your head that this kind of isn't for me then you've got to go pretty quickly and and i've kind of convinced myself that that, that was it and i remember playing a gig in london thinking this is going to be the last one I do this because <laughs> I've just I've just lost faith in it totally because it is it is hard graft and obviously there are relationships within the band that you've got to withhold and you know you got to, you've just got to be on the same page with everyone and I felt there was a, a period of sort of disruption where that that left me kind of feeling isolated in a way to be honest with you Johnny probably felt a little bit like that as well Adam had had left before me. And I sort of thought, I need to move on from this now. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I was sure that that wasn't going to be in, in that mm. setup. There was a rough reformation of Twisted Wheel a couple of years back now. You weren't part of that. Adam and Johnny were part of that. Were there never any temptations to kind of go back? <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't ever rule out kind of the three of us sort of getting together at some point and 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 doing a gig as long as it was only one <laughs> um, I, I wouldn't mind that in some way but it kind of needs to be like the, the terms of of the arrangement would have to be set in stone before i signed up to it um but yeah a, a little bit a little bit but the thing is i've barely played uh, any bass for, for for a long time and i spend my time most of my time in, in music dj now mm. so it'd take me quite a while to get up to scratch again i think it'd just annoy me that i'm not as good as i was <laughs> so i mean finally looking at this album and the hype that was around twisted wheel as a band when you burst onto the scene particularly in manchester when you look back on it 
What's your overriding emotion at the moment? Is it a piece of work you're really proud of and you're going, yeah, that's brilliant. I'm really pleased I achieved this, but it is in my past. Or does it present to you kind of a missed opportunity given the, the, the kind of the, as you said, there was a bidding war amongst record labels, which is pretty unheard of now, a bidding war after your signature. So they obviously saw potential. Does it, does it feel like there could have been something there that was maybe not quite achieved? Yes, yes, I know. Obviously, I'm I'm proud of what we did, and and um, there are still people that I, I bump into today, or that I work on on other things, and 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 when they find out that I was part of that band and and we played some big gigs, some sometimes they say, "No way, I was at that gig. I would have I would have seen you." Mm. Uh, and you know, I, I, I'm proud of sort of what we achieved, and and the experiences that we had were were, were incredible. Really, going to LA and, and recording in. Uh, Sunset Sound and touring with our heroes, you know, Paul Weller and Oasis and, and all these other big bands. But yeah, it, it kind of does, it does great on me a little bit that that we weren't more successful in a way. But I still think that a lot of the bands that we were similar to, not in style, but in, well, maybe, maybe in style a little bit. I mean, we toured with, with The View a bit mm. and, you know, The View broke up a few years back now. And, and I can't help but think that, you know, even if we had been successful, as successful as The View, for example, we probably would have broken up a few years later anyway, <laughs> unless unless it went to a totally different dimension. So I think sort of being a realist, it was a little bit of a missed opportunity, but also I, I don't look back at it like that. I, I'm mm. proud of what we achieved. I said that was and finally, but I feel like I want to finish on a high rather than a kind of maybe not not quite a low but something maybe in the middle uh, what was your favorite i mean you, you talked about some amazing things over the last half an hour you talked about playing with some of your musical heroes you talked about flying to la to record an album and those early days the camaraderie between the three of you when you sort of close your eyes and think of the band and think of one moment what was your favorite moment of being in twisted wheel I think when we we did our biggest headline show at Academy One, and and that was that was just a, a, a brilliant gig. I mean, it was it's probably the, one of the only gigs where I had a bass tech, so I, I was probably was punching her. Um, <laughs> Someone else could tune it for once. Just Johnny, had, just Johnny that had the tech because he had to keep swapping guitars. You don't you don't normally change your bass halfway through the set. But um, yeah, that 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 gig was was brilliant, and it was our biggest sort of hometown, you know, our own gig that we played, and just just felt a million dollars. We played a long set, played everything we knew. Everyone loved it. All the photos were, were amazing. Everyone, some of my mates that came to the show that saw us regularly said, "That's the best I've ever seen you by a long by a long way," and you know that meant a lot. So yeah, that 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 was probably it to be honest. Although you know, obviously supporting Oasis at Heaton Park in front of yeah. seventy thousand people was <laughs> was not to be sniffed at. But I, I kind of felt like you know it was their gig, mm. and although it was it was an amazing experience, it was nice when everyone in the crowd was there purely to see us. Some pretty amazing achievements along the way. Rick, it's been absolutely fantastic to talk to you about a classic album, Twisted Wheel, Twisted Wheel. Maybe an album that deserved more recognition, particularly outside of Manchester, but it's been a joy to speak to you about it. And thank you very much for your time on the Excess Long Player. Thanks very much, Jim. Cheers, mate. The Excess Manchester Long Player, an iconic album in fall with Jim Salverson. Excess Manchester. That is the Excess Long Player 
for this podcast. Cheers for your ears. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed that one. Awesome to chat to Rick. What a nice fella. And really interesting to hear some of his stories from his time making music with Twisted Wheel and that debut album that caused such a buzz at the time. If you enjoyed this show, if you like what you heard, A, listen to some of the other shows in the series if you've not done so already. And B, please do leave me a review on iTunes or Spotify, however you listen to podcasts. Let me know what you think of this show. Give us a rating. And if you want to make a suggestion about a future classic album that I should look at on the Excess Long Player podcast, then please do make that suggestion. I'll see you next time. Manchester's indie rock and roll station, Excess Manchester.